The story I want to tell you this morning is a true story. It begins in Otsuchi, Japan, a very small town along the coast in Japan, with a man named Itaro Sasaki. Itaro Sasaki uh, is a garden designer by profession. He lives there in this small town of Otsuchi in a beautiful garden. And in, in um, 2010, he suffered a death in his family. His cousin died. And he was really feeling, among the many, the many swirling feelings of grief, he was feeling empty when he wanted to talk to his cousin. He says he used to just pick up the phone and, and they would talk. And so he had this idea. He went and got an old-fashioned phone booth. Think of, um, think of the kind with many um, panes, many small paned windows. Um, it was white painted um, with all these windows on all four sides. And he set up this phone booth in his garden. And in it, he put a phone, an old-fashioned black phone, kind of like this one that Ed Vale lent us. Ooh, this is heavy, really old-fashioned phone. He put it in the phone booth. That was it. Wasn't, wasn't connected to anything. And when he missed his cousin, and wished that he could just pick up the phone so that they could talk, he went into the phone booth and picked up the phone and talked. Some months after this was March 2011, when a terrible tsunami swept over much of Japan. We felt the effect on the waves here across the ocean. and. Um, in uh, Otsuchi, um, many people died. Hundreds of people in this small town, many houses and other buildings were devastated. Uh, it was very hard hit being so close to the affected shore. And so Mr. Sasaki invited others to come and use the, the phone. He called it the wind phone, kaze no denwa, the telephone of the wind in Japanese. And those who had lost somebody came and used the phone. People came not only from over, all over Otsuchi, but from all over Japan. They came from hours away. People came who had not talked about whom they had lost in the tsunami or any other time to others and use the phone, the phone of the wind. Now, some people spoke to Itaro Sasaki about their experiences in the phone booth. Some people wrote things in the notebook that he had left there by the telephone. And then there was a, um, a documentary um, done by a Japanese television station um, done in a way that really honored people's privacy. They, <clears throat> they filmed from far away, people coming in and out of the phone booth, and they 
recorded audio only with people's permission of what people said while they were there. And so we know some of the things that have happened inside the phone booth. People cry. They pick up the phone and actually dial a phone number they remember. They listen. They share very ordinary things sometimes about their lives. There's a woman whose husband died and she brings her grandchildren to come with her when she goes to talk to him. And they talk too. Hi, Grandpa. I lost a tooth. I'm in fourth grade now. Can you believe it? Just the things that they would say to him if the phone had him on the other line, on the other, at the other end of the line instead of just the wind. People say, I'm sorry. They say, forgive me. They say, I love you. Sometimes they say things that contradict each other, like in one breath saying, I know you're gone forever, and in the next saying, please come back. Tens of thousands of people have come to use the wind phone in the 10 years since it's been open to the public. And not only that, af after people learned about it from radio and documentary uh, television, they started creating wind phones where they are so that there are now many around the world, places where people can just pick up the phone when there's something they need to say to somebody who has died, or when there's something they need to hear. The physicist Richard Feynman <clears throat> got married when he was young to a woman named Arlene. They were so much in love. They were very young, and they knew by the time that they got married that she did not have long to live. They ended up having five years together. Five years that were clearly full of love, a lot of humor, a lot of wisdom. He tells a story of the kinds of notes she would send to him when he was <clears throat> off at work and embarrassment about something at, uh, at, at work, and she wrote back, what do you care what other people think? Which he then made the name of his second memoir. That's how long she stayed with him. Years later, many years, another marriage, but still Arlene was a part of his life. And one way that she was a part of his life was he would talk to her. This caused some trouble for him at one point. Uh, being a uh, very highly placed physicist, he needed a security clearance for something. And so they, he was going on having the investigation into his general um, you know, proper um, loyalty to the country, stability of mind, and so on. And it came out somehow that he talked to Arlene, who at this point had been dead for quite some time. There were some people who were very concerned that he would 
was talking to his dead wife. Maybe they were worried about his emotion. Maybe they were worried that he wasn't too rooted in reality. For his part, he was completely... It makes me wonder, what did the people do about their losses who found what he did so strange? But, you know, Richard Feynman clearly had a really good imagination. For him, it was enough to just go around... Uh, speaking to her as he went about his business. But, um, <clears throat> of course, you can talk to people who are gone without a prop. You don't need this phone. It's, right, it's just connected to the wind, after all, so really doesn't make a difference whether you have a phone or not, except that it seems that for many of us, it does. The people who came and spoke to the wind phone, or to their loved ones using the wind phone, they often hadn't done it at all before. Uh, the documentary traces the story of, of one um, teenager who lost his father in the tsunami. And um, <clears throat> he came all by himself on public transit several hours to Watsuchi to talk to his dad. And then he came back, bringing his little brother and little sister and his mother. His little sister had not spoken to anybody at all about her father for five years since the day he died. And she sat there with the phone saying, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. And her little brother just encouraged her to just start talking and she cried and cried and started saying to her father all the things that had been in her heart for all that time. She wanted to tell him she was sorry for silly things that she had done. She wished that he could come and cheer her on in tennis. She had five years of news to give him and she cried and cried and said what was on her mind. They all took their turns. And the mother said that up until that point, she didn't think that they were going to make it. She didn't think they were going to be okay. They hadn't really talked about their loss to each other for five years. And then they got on the wind phone as if they could talk to their father to their husband who was gone. And then they could talk to each other about him and about their lives without him. You can talk to people who are gone without a prop, but you know, we're embodied beings. This is, this is how we spend our lives in the physical, things we can touch and, and feel and hear and see and smell. And so there's something about holding something in one's hand. Could be a phone like this or just a cell phone. That's what Ataro Suzuki said. He said, when I want to talk to my cousin, I get on the phone, but now he's gone. So he got himself a phone to connect him to his cousin. We're used to hearing 
through the earpiece the voices of somebody we love, of the people we love. We're used to being able to speak into the microphone and have them hear us. And so when we pick up a phone, it's like something on us opens. When we open the door to the phone booth, we're opening the door to how we connect with the people we love, whether or not they can hear us. Clearly the phone provided the nudge that a lot of people needed, tens of thousands. It was noticed that more men used the wind phone than women, perhaps because the men were not used to speaking about their feelings. Old Japanese farmers who had something to say to those they had lost in the tsunami or in some other time. Imagination may be as insubstantial as a ghost, but it thrives on solidity, palpability, something we can touch. It comes to life when we use our voices. I'd heard about the wind phone, but until I decided to bring it here to you all for this service of remembrance, I hadn't actually tried it. I thought I'd better try it if I want to know anything about what I'm talking about. And it really was very different than just thinking about my sorrow, thinking about my losses. It was different even than just muttering to myself the things that I might want to say to them. So today I want to offer you an opportunity to speak on the telephone of the wind. At the first service, we had telephones all around, and many people went to them and picked them up. But you have a phone right there, wherever you are, most likely. So I invite you to find some privacy. Try not to go so far from the computer that you can't hear me when I call you back. We'll keep, the, we'll keep my voice on so that I can call you back when you've had some time. But go find a private spot and pick up a phone and speak to somebody you miss. You can say anything at all. Or you can just tell them it's you and listen. When you hear me singing, that's the signal to bring your conversation to an end and come on back. Let's go talk on the wind phone.